It's my madness. It's a bit of madness being a designer. And when I get beautiful leathers, it's like I'm almost doing the crazy laugh because I'm so excited. It drives wives wicked. It makes such a golden brown pot. It must be lots of fun to be a mother. I've got something to apologize for. I wore my good suit because it was plain and neat. Afraid of not knowing what is proper? This yellow fluffo is such a short shortening. Hi there, I'm Susan Osman, and this is Been There, Done That, a show about women who are shaping our world, striving and thriving. Experienced, smart women who are redefining what it means to be a woman in the workplace. You know I can't work without a good breakfast. All right, Claire, stop typing, please. All right, Claire, stop typing. This week, I talked to one of these women, Chantal Pilon, who is a cobbler, but not just any cobbler, one who designs and makes the shoes and boots herself. She's passionate about creating footwear that makes women feel amazing. And after years of producing shoes, she now has her own international brand, Chani B, and she's with me now. Hi, Chantelle. Hello, Susan. Thank you for having me on today. Oh, great pleasure. Um, Barter was uh, originally a Czech uh, shoe factory and then Canadian. And as you know, one of the biggest shoe factories in the world. And originally, Canadians aren't necessarily renowned for their glamour uh, without being rude. So how did you get into the shoe business? Well, now that you said about Bata, my grandfather was British and he worked for Bata after the war. And my grandfather had a passion for working in the shoe business with him and was one of his top um, managers of all the shops here in the UK. And Bata asked him if he would move to um, the Bahamas and take his whole family, which he had three children and his wife, and take them on the um, Queen Mary and all his all their belongings and everything and move them to the Bahamas to open shoe shops there and run them. And then he did so well after so many years that Bata asked if he would go to, he had a choice actually, he could go to New York or he could go to Canada, to Toronto. And my grandfather joked that the reason why he chose Canada is because he didn't have to pay tax on his motor car going into Canada, but he would in America. So then he opened up shoe shops. <laughs> and then I grew up in them. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a little girl, did you watch your grandfather making shoes or did you just hang around the shoe shop? Because Atta was a huge deal at one time. Yeah, he was enormous in his time. Um, my grandfather never made shoes. My grandfather always worked um, running shops and doing all the inventories and getting all the product and buying the product for the shops and organizing all the staff and everything. So he ran shoe stores. So the whole designing and stuff didn't come into play until I decided in, uh, later on in life. But I grew up pretty much in the back stock room when my mom was a single mom uh, taking care of me and my sister. Yeah, I used to play in the shoeboxes with my Barbies. <laughs> no way. That's lovely. Well, you know, I, I introduced you as a cobbler and I heard you kind of smile when I, I said that. And one of the things when I was a little girl, I used to listen to fairy tales and the little, the elves. Do you remember the fairy tale about the elves at night coming out and finishing the shoes yeah. that the cobbler had made? <laughs> yes. One always associates a shoemaker as being male. So how did a woman like yourself get into the shoe industry? Well, and you're right, because usually it is known that it's male. But over the last few years, there has been more women involved in it. I uh, decided to go to Cordwainers in London, where Cordwainers is the name uh, Cordwaining 
is the process of making shoes. That's the real name before cobbler. That's actually shoemaking. So I went there. It was very prestigious. Uh, many big uh, designers, men mostly, have come out of there that we know of, but a lot of women too. And I studied there for two years and uh, was had the time of my life, to be honest. it was. Uh, I felt like my calling was there, a light. I, I don't know if you've read in the book that I have, but a light went on about this whole part of my life. I just knew this. I was meant to do this. Now, cordwainers, forgive, forgive my ignorance. What What is the technique of cordwainers? Is it a specific technique? Yeah, a cordwainer is the guild, the guild name for making shoes, handmaking. But then it was a big design course too, so designing and, and handmaking them. But uh, yeah, I did all that for quite a few years. You uh, must have been, I'm being a bit presumptuous, but you must have been one of the few women at this college. Did you come across any discrimination or harassment with your colleagues? Or By the time I went there, there was a lot of women in it because uh, part of the art side of it, the hand, the handcrafting, I think uh, a lot of the men got into, but the fashion and design, because it was all derived by fashion as well. And uh, women love to be in fashion, but um, not necessarily is there uh, anything against women in that side of it. It's more in when you're producing in production. So in designing, you know, a lot of women design or draw, but handmaking and working in factories, um, sort of like the, the boss side of it is usually men, usually. How interesting. Well, you, you mentioned the light bulb moment when you just knew that making and designing shoes was going to be your life's purpose. Tell us about this light bulb moment. Okay. So it goes back to the time that I was in Canada and I uh, just wanted to figure out what I wanted to do with myself because, uh, you know, every, every person, male or female, gets to a point in their life and they're like, what am I going to do with myself? What am I going to do with my life? And I grew up in the shoe business, working in my grandfather's shoe shops and, and then working for my mom in her shoe shops. And then one day I was sitting there at a trade fair in Las Vegas with my mom, probably being dragged to go around a little bit because we've done it so many times. But I found this amazing man, um, Jean Fluvog, who is a designer in Vancouver. And someone said, Oh, Chantal, you should meet, meet him because you've always been very creative. And I have, I've always been creative. And my mom at one point says, you'll never make money doing art. And I said, I'm going to find a way and find a way because I love being creative. And, uh, I went to go meet him at the fair, just very walk on his stand and have a quick chat with him. I know he probably never remembers me, but, um, he inspired me. I asked him, where should I go to, to college or where should I learn the trade? And, uh, because the minute I found out that that existed, I, I just knew I, I couldn't wait. And the minute he told me where I should go, I was immediately looking it up and signing on. I am going there. And I had to wait six months and, and it felt painful. <laughs> I had to wait too long. I'd never left Canada and to, other than going to America and stuff for trade fairs, but I'd never left, left Canada. So that was a huge jump. I thought, oh, I don't care. I'm going. I'm doing this. I knew it. And the, and, the, and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, I can't, I'm not a very dexterous person, and I'm absolutely fascinated to know how you begin to design, and then you have to take your designer, presumably, to a manufacturer, who then manufacture your shoes. Talk us through where you get your inspiration from. Do you sit there and have your coffee and go, mm, I fancy doing some boots today, or I fancy doing some shoes today? How, how does it happen as a process? 
Well, I get that question all the time. I really do. And sometimes it is just like one of those light bulb moments too. I'm like, oh, that would be so amazing. Sometimes just something hits me out of my my mind. I think, oh, I'm totally going to do that. Sometimes it can just be a matter of I'm scribbling, doodling for a while and, you know, just, just, you know, not thinking too hard. It's just like a writer when the writer gets writer's block, you know, it's the same kind of thing with a designer and any kind of art is that, uh, things you see and things that happen in your life. Maybe, you know, like you, maybe I went traveling, let's say somewhere and I was inspired by a, a lovely glass of, um, uh, Aperol spritz, you know, if that's, uh, you know, and that has happened, but I've sat there, had a lovely glass of Afro spritz and I've been in a lovely place looking at people walking by and what they're wearing and their colors and, and the color of the orange and the Afro spritz, just silly things like that all of a sudden turn into an idea and then they evolve from that. And then my scribbling of my ideas, I put little, little tiny scribbles down, little drawings, little notes to myself, try and remind myself that, okay, I'll come back to that later. I come back to it later. I'm scribbling, designing again. Um, oh, I'm going to come up with something new. And maybe a customer also came in my shop and said, you know what, Chantal, I wish you would make something like, and I'll think, mm, oh, I have a good idea. And sometimes it's that too. <laughs> Is it fashion or comfort when it comes to your shoes or, or do you have both? Uh, it's both. has to be. The real reason why I built Shani B was because of all the years that I've designed for big corporate companies. I was designing for Kenneth Cole in New York. You know, I traveled all over the world designing for him and he's amazing to work for. And I've designed for comfort brands and that. The problem to me is that a lot of product that's out there right now is just either a cookie cutter or they're taking all the good stuff out or they have to keep price points at a certain price. So all the leather is a, a, maybe a lower quality or they're putting synthetic inside or, you know, they're not doing the full product like it used to be done a long time ago when it wasn't about that. And that's what Shani B is about. So when I'm doing my travels and I'm looking for leathers and I'm finding new materials or any things that are going to inspire the design, I don't look at the price. I, you know, the tannery just says to me, oh, Chantal, that's this price. And I said, I don't care. I love it. Let's do it. talking to Chantal Pion and you're listening to Being There, Done That. Chantal, I, I, I mean, you've, I love it that you talk so passionately about the levers and, and the, and the colours and the designs. But, you know, if, if you've never seen a Charney B shoe, what do you think makes your shoes or boots distinctive? Well, everyone that's ever had a pair of Charney B know, first of all, most of my shoes are fuchsia lining inside. <laughs> they have to be pink. Um, <laughs> most people know that. Um, but I put a lot of cushion inside. I uh, think about women's feet. So I, a lot of times when I'm designing them, I think about the whole the pitch and the pitch of the shoes so that the shoes don't feel like you're standing on the end of your toes when you're wearing a high heel. You're pitched beautifully and straight so that you're not toppling over. So my shoes are balanced properly where a lot of product these days are made so fast. They're not balanced. Um, a lot of shiny bees are just also known for beautiful materials and colors. And 
And a lot of people say, oh, I think I just saw a shiny bee shoe, a lady walking with a pair down the street. And usually it is mine because they are distinctive, that they're unique and they're full of color. And they're just an expression of a woman's love for beautiful shoes. Do you think there's a psychology of shoes? Yes, most definitely. And especially if you love shoes, a lot of women, and I'm sure you can remember, there's at least one story that you'll have in your life about a favorite pair of shoes. And I have women always that come in here and say, oh, I had these shoes that I bought when I was a little girl or, you know, or I wore these shoes when I went on holiday. And they'll remember shoes have a very um, a love attachment to them. A very passionate feeling. Women tend to feel like a memory is attached to those shoes. And I always say to my customers, I hope that these bring you to beautiful places and, and you have fabulous memories wearing your pair of shanty bees. And I do really do wish that. I, I hope that a lot of these women one day go, oh, remember those shanty bees I had? You know, <laughs> and they do already do that. It's very interesting you should say that. When I was at school, we had to have brown shoes for outdoors and black shoes for indoors. And it was really boring having to change shoes when you're in and out. But I remember having this brown pair of lace-up shoe-like boots, and I really, really loved them. And I was always wanting to go outside so I could wear the brown shoes rather than the black shoes. And I remember snapping the heel one day. And life was never the same, Chantal, when those boots Aww. went. It's true. <laughs> There is a saying, isn't there? You can always tell a man by the shoes that he wears. So it's a slightly gender biased comment. But do you think that is the same with women that you can see a woman beautifully turned out and then you look at her shoes and then she's got trainers on? You think, oh, oh well, never mind. Well, she can have trainers, but they better be awesome trainers, at least not shabby trainers. <laughs> because trainers is a fashion right now for some, but at least don't let them be shabby then be cool. But you know, it is interesting talking about women and shoes. There is something very confident building about shoes. I mean, what is it about shoes that can raise our self-esteem? Oh, definitely. Especially if they're expensive shoes. Yes, but the, the putting on a pair of heels, just putting on, even if it's a two-inch heel, okay, no, you only need the five-inch heel. Two-inch heel can make a woman's posture feel more confident. What shoes are you wearing at the moment, Chantal? Oh, ha, I'm wearing my very favorite honey. And that shoe is when someone comes in here and asks me, what is your favorite shoe? Out of everything you've designed, I will always say honey or cocoa. And they were a design that I started um, about two years into starting my brand. I said to the factory, because I'm also known in the industry as a, I like to invent a little bit. And there's only so much you can do in footwear because there's a lot of rules but I've always liked to see if I can push the rules a little bit. And these are hand lasted. So they're made by hand, but they're unlined cowhide and making an unlined dress shoe. The factory even said, that's impossible. I said, no, it's not. Come on, let's do it. There was many tries to do them and we finally achieved it. And now one of them has 13 colors in it. And the other one has eight colors, I think, or seven colors now. And they are slippers with a heel, I call them. You clearly are very passionate about what you do. Can you ever see a time when you won't be making shoes? Or do I say that word, retirement? <gasps> Gosh, well, that's boring. I'm not going to stop doing this. <laughs> I, you know, I might evolve. That let's be wonderful. Evolve into um, the future of Shani B growing, which would be nice. And 
maybe I'll have uh, the brand grow larger so that I'll be designing behind the scenes a bit more, which would be really nice as well. From the beginning of starting Shani B here at Milsom Place in Bath, I started it as a six-month pop-up because my whole plan was to sell these shoes to boutiques all around the world, and it still is, and to have people understand what I'm all about and the whole theory of the brand. But at the time that I was trying to set it up, the country, England here, didn't quite understand it. They wanted brands that everybody knows, or they wanted cheaper brand or a really high-end brand. So they weren't fitting, the brand wasn't fitting in to the little, you know, area that it needed to for a lot of shops. So I thought, well, I'm going to do this six-month pop-up here in Milson Place. And uh, I kept saying to the customers, I'm only going to be here for six months. And then I signed another lease. All right, let's do another six months. And here I am nine years later. But when the COVID oh, hit- yeah, I know. So it just happened. And I'm still on a pop-up, by the way. <laughs> and they're just trying to keep me here. Um, but when COVID hit, it really made me think, oh, you know what? Ah, this is a good time. I can just stop having the shop and I'll just stay online. And online was really good for me during the uh, lockdown. Thank goodness. And uh, I had a lot of customers emailing me and calling me on my phone saying, please do not shut that shop. That is my shoe store. I'm getting the sense that you have a kind of a, a bit of a following amongst your shoe buying clientele that once they buy one of your shoes, yeah, they come back. Mm -hmm. Obsessed, very obsessed. And that's wonderful because I'm just as obsessed making them. <laughs> do you ever meet other, is there a, a kind of a, a, a cobbler's consortium that you get together and you 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 discuss ideas or you're all quite secretive and I don't know. It's just I think that's how it is. I think we're just keep to ourselves in design like mad. It's just the way it is. It's we meet in factories, you know, when I when I travel and when I used to travel, um, I'd meet up with other designers and people that design. And of course we have lunch with whoever our agent or the factory that we're with that day and chat a bit, but never really goes more than that because you are sort of your own identity and you're doing your own thing. It's my madness. It's a bit of madness being a designer. And when I get beautiful leathers, it's like I'm almost doing the crazy laugh because I'm so excited. And it is just part of all the creating and loving the passionate things that you, I love to do. And I think a lot of other designers are like that with their own brand and whatever their thesis is, you know, there's a big passion behind it. I'd like to know how can you be both creative and profitable? How can the two be balanced without compromising? Well, I guess a lot of times it's a, a gut feeling when I'm designing it that I know that I have people that will love what I'm doing. Plus, in the very beginnings of certain designs, the factories are amazing. They allow me to make six pairs. And and then I can watch and I can I can watch it grow. And then as it grows, then of course, they bring down their, their prices to me. The prices get a little bit lower as the quantities go up. That's all, just how it works. How hard has it been, Chantal, to be an entrepreneur, businesswoman, and be creative? It, it ha is it been a lonely place? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes, it can be very lonely. Uh, and and uh, I'm, many women, no matter what industry they're in, I think women in particular, feel very lonely in it because if you're really passionate about something and you are putting your everything into it, 
a lot of times there's no time for a lot of other things. You know, I also, I'll meet people that uh, maybe just uh, see me as, well, she does a designer and she wouldn't understand me. I'm just, you know, average, but I'm not, I'm not uh, pretentious by any means. I, I'm quite, I like to be friends with everybody, but it can be quite lonely to make friends because they're maybe looking at you. You, you know, they say, oh, you must be nice. Get to travel and you can do this and a little bit of jealousy. And, you know, it's a bit hard that way. The men always go on golfing trips together and they always go on, you know, they, they go on and do these man stuff together. And the girls are never invited. Like I used to, I used to work for big companies and of course all the guys would be like, oh yeah, we're going, we're going to go and uh, do this. We're going to go do that. And it's like, well, what happened to us? You know, just because we're women. So that's just life <laughs> tends to be like that. sense of your your passion and your inspiration I don't know if you can actually answer this question but is there a standout design for you that you think I absolutely nailed that one um yeah there's uh, there's a handful to be honest with you because like I've said to my customers in here each one has a story I have a story of how maybe I might not remember every single piece of the story of them because there's so many of them but I'll remember things like I had to fight to get the leather to make something or the pattern, like I was telling you in the honey, but like the, um, mm. St. Lucia boots that I have, they were hard to get the pattern right. And it took many trials to get all the little buttons and the elastic to look a little bit more like a vintage shoe. So that's been, uh, an amazing feat. Um, there's also, um, pointure is another one that I did where I have, um, a vintage print of the Titanic on printed on the heel. And I started off with that with a little French cut and a beautiful high heel with a, the angle of the heel is representing the Titanic, but it's just edgy and awesome. And it has a nice rubber um, uh, wrap around it. And that was, that was a lot of work that took me over two and a half years to get that one right. And I got it right. And I'm very proud of it because it has a, a whole group built around it from high to low heels now. And excitingly enough, um, I have just had the Bath Museum enter a few of my shoes and that's one of them to go in the Shuforia exhibition. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, that just happened the other day. Oh, well done. I'm interested in these Titanic shoes. So it, 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 it took two, two and a half years from beginning to end. That's pretty amazing. The painful parts usually come from me being a small designer and handing off my designs to the sole factory or the heel factory or just trying to get things in play. And a lot of times when you're a small uh, designer like me, they don't want to do anything for the little guys like me. So I have to fight. And there's a lot of shoes that I've had to fight a lot for. And I don't take no very easily when they say, oh no, Chantal doesn't have enough quantities for these to make them. I'm like, right. Well, how about in the next five years, if we amortize the whole units in the heels over 
five years. So that means that we're pre-planning how many pairs we're going to sell over five years. And then they cost it out that way. And then the sole production, the heel production um, uh, companies make that deal. So they're like, right, okay, she's she does believe enough, enough in this. But it also is because maybe, you know, I'm not the big, big name out there. And when you're a really big name, you have a lot of power. And I'm not a big name, but I have a very good reputation. And reputation is everything in the footwear industry. Everything. Because uh, not everyone gets shoes. I mean, a lot of, a lot, a lot of people listening, to me, I have no idea what these two people are wittering on about. I don't care about my shoes. I just get this. I get flats. I get this. And I, I'm not interested. I do not get shoes. What all the fuss is about. What is a good starting point, would you say, for a customer to find the perfect shoe? Is there such thing as the perfect shoe? Everybody has their own idea of a perfect shoe. That's the thing. Some, some women, they only wear heels and some, they only wear flats. Like I do a whole sneaker line and they're all leather lined. And the reason why they're leather lined is because so many sneakers are not leather lined today. And, or, and if they are, they're really, really expensive and mine are just beautiful and well-made and made in small quantities. So I have a lot of customers who don't wear the heels and come in here and they're used to seeing a lot of sneakers and they tend to like what I'm doing there. And I've got another, I've got a boot line and my ankle boots are really popular. They're on 28 colors now, where I don't have all 28 anymore in the shop because I've, I, I get, I, um, sell them out as we go, but they're an ankle boot that has done incredible for me, even in Canada and America, they can't get enough of them. And they're called Zipette and they're just like a little ankle pull on boot where they're open on the sides and they're just like butter. You wear them with bare feet, so you can wear them in hot climates. You can wear them in your tights, and they're nice with jeans. So that's a another shoe. A lot of times, people come in here and they'll be like, "Ooh, don't wear heels," but those are pretty beautiful. I was very interested to hear you say that a lot of women uh, were at the shoemaking college with you. What advice would you give to a woman who wanted to follow, excuse the pun, in your footsteps? Oh, I know this answer because I tell it to all the students that ever come to see me. <laughs> and one thing I say to them is you have to have a tough shell. When you're a designer and in your businesswoman and you are starting your dream, if it be footwear or something, fashion, whatever, you have to have really tough shell. You have to be able to want to want it that bad. And I do. You, you, I live, eat, breathe and sleep my work. I love it. I'm passionate and you need to, because there's so many things in business that can kick you down. And as a woman too, you get kicked down, I think, or you may be a bit more uh, sensitive to it, but you get kicked down more in life, I think. And you have to be able to pick back up and just say, oh, on with it. Let's just go. And it's taken me many years to pick myself up many times and say, no, 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 no. We're not doing this or this is not going to happen. This is how it's going to be. Right. Get on back. Yeah, here you go. That's why when customers said, oh my God, I'm so happy that you're still here. I said, are you kidding me? I said, everyone tells me in the footwear industry that I am brave doing this and I am brave and I am not going down. <laughs> Chantal Pilon, you've certainly been there and done that. Thank you for talking with me. It's been really fun walking in your shoes. I couldn't resist that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Being There, Done That with me, Susan Osman. 
visit us on btdtshow.com for more interviews with dynamic women. And I'd love to hear from you as well, so please leave us a review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. These are words of respect. How can you tell when you're really in love? And look how flaky it is. The girls weigh each portion of food they select. The Been There, Done That show is brought to you by Dan Hall at Pup Media Consultancy. We can still have a lot of fun, can't we? Your manners are showing. I'm a princess. Mabel loves cooking and does it well. Overweight makes an individual undesirable. Lovely stockings. And you think that's all that matters?